When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Tim Gossage on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Over the next hour, we're going to be talking to a young man, relatively young man, who is uh, making his mark on a national scale in the world of racing. And he is aligned to, of course, one of the greats of the modern day in the turf industry. And I talk of Amelia Stewart. And I talk of Simon Miller, racehorse trainer here in Perth, based at Ascot, Victorian, but certainly uh, making mark over there on the East Coast at the moment with the mighty Amelia's Jewel. And we've already done a similar chat. We did uh, turf uh, Tales of the Turf some time ago, but hasn't a lot of water gone under the bridge since then. Simon, appreciate your time. Tim, great to be on. <laughs> we sit in this chair probably a couple of years ago where we talked about all the horses you've had and you were still chasing that Group 1, elusive Group 1. Well, you've ticked that and now you've arguably got one of, if not the best horse you've ever trained and one of the best horses we've seen race in Australia. Yeah, very much so. A lot, a lot's um, gone by or gone on since then and um, we've got a freak, haven't we? So it's, it's a good journey. It's been a great journey thus far from even just educating her as a baby to where she is now. It's been a wild ride. Yeah, we're going to talk more about Amelia's jewel a little later. Uh, thanks to Baron O'Day because the little things are everything. You're fairly well ensconced here in WA. It's how many years now you've been in Western Australia? 14, rising yeah, 15. Wow. So it's gone quick. It has gone quick. And it's, and it's been a lot of fun. I must admit uh, the waistline has uh, proven that it has has been a lot of fun. I came across at 92 kilos and I was 92 for a long time and I'm pushing around the 112 right now. You're 112? Yeah, but I'm, I buy bigger tops, guys, so, it's, you know. It's an illusion. <laughs> uh, well, we're at different, similar scale level, uh, and we are noted. Uh, uh, many people uh, get us confused as like we're the <laughs> twins. Hey, mate, mate just wanna, let's let's talk about. We're going to go back to where it all started. Back, uh, well, your former bank, Johnny. At one stage, you worked in the bank as well, and obviously, racing's been in your blood for a long time. But what makes it? so good in Western Australia? Is it the cattle? Is it the people? Is it the industry? Is it just your demeanour? I'd love to know what the combination is for Simon Miller. I think it's the main combination, it's lifestyle. It's not wall-to-wall racing. So you can do things with your mates, go to sporting events, have luncheons, or now I've got a little little one, Olivia, I can hang out with her. So it, um, it gives you the freedom to do so. Like you look in Melbourne and Sydney now, everyone's heading down the partnership line. And you have to because you've got to be able to delegate your work. Uh, and, and it's wall to wall racing. You've got night racing and it's just relentless. So I love being here. It's not, you still race, you know, four or five times a week, but not seven. And two of the four are in town, which is predominantly where our stable plays. So we don't have to travel three, four hours to the bush and have a runner here or there. So it works really good from. From that point of view, I mean, the racing's still competitive here. And then if you've got a horse good enough, just go over to Melbourne or Sydney and you're only going to Flemington, Caulfield, Mooney Valley. 
So you can work smarter, not harder. Uh, well, you've done that uh, so beautifully since being here, and, and the numbers are really stacking up. Uh, you, you, you are, have you've described as very much a boutique stable. So again, for our listeners who are new to the racing game, describe numbers for me. You see some stables, not just in Western Australia, but around the country where they have hundreds and 150 and 200s and some even more and there's so much going on and they race at all parts and we see the coming stable and the blue and then we see the snowdens and we see um ma eustace and nisham they're everywhere the simon miller stable is much more focused what's the peak number that you have but how many horses do you have so we have 28 in work and i try and cap the horses at about 110 that way uh, i can have enough at the pre-trainers to switch them into me when I'm putting one out and then take one from the spelling paddock and put it into the pre-trainer. So about 110 doesn't cramp the system, puts pressure on it because if we, we predominantly uh, focus on city races. So if you can't win in town, we'll move you on. And for 20... That's a pretty brutal outlook, but do your owners and connections and the people that pay the bills, that's what they buy in for? They buy in for that. They, obviously, we have a lot of fun and, and you know, we're... We're a very jovial stable, but we all want to play the the pointy end. We want to. We don't want to be going to Northern every Thursday with the same horse because it's not viable. It's expensive to race horses, so if, if there's no light at the end of the tunnel, we'll just move them on. And the luxury I got in Perth is you got Kalgoorlie, Esperance, Albany, Geraldton, Broome. Everyone's looking for that horse that just can't make the grade, but it'll do a number there. So we're forever just moving horses around, and by doing that, you end up with a strong team and your depth is huge. So to the outside people, they think, oh, you must work a heap of horses, but we only have 28. But mm. but predominantly all 28 are generally really good horses. So it can be a bit of an illusion that way. But like even last year, I'm proud of like my staff. Like we finished um, second in the premiership, second the year before. We'll finish second or third every year. We'll never win it because we don't have the numbers. But we've won, we won the most black type races last year and the most amount of prize money off 28 and work, so it's, it's good fun. It is good fun. We're going to dissect that a little moment and in maybe the last 12 months, but also your time here and your overall stats as well. But it's a bit a, a bit about getting to know you. You're born into racing? Uh, through my uh, uncle's side, my, yes. Um, breeding, bookmaking, syndicating. My grandfather was really good friends with Bart Cummings. Um, so we've always had the, the racing side on... on um, Mum's, uh, on my dad's side, no, but mum's side, yes. And um, even to this day, they're still dabbling with broodmares and, and um, bookmaking and, and syndication. So it's, uh, it's a good game. Well, when's the first time you thought training could be something you want to try? When's the first time you you sort of got involved? And I know you were a co-trainer and a helping trainer for some senior stables in Melbourne and also up there in Sydney. And you came across here as part of the Aquanita group as well to, to do their stable set up over here. But just tell us about, as a kid growing up, when you thought horses is for you. I, I knew from a young age I loved it because my uncle was a bookie, so I used to go to the racetrack with him when I was four, five, six, and he'd go to non-TAB meetings like Buck and Omeo, Swifts Creek, like all these absolute bush meetings. And it was unreal, and, and I fell in love with the game because you got to stay the weekend there, 
Um, there was golf on on a Friday or a Sunday. The races were the Saturday. It was like a community thing. What were you doing when the races are wrong? What is a four and five year old doing? Well, it was more when I went away on those trips. I was probably around seven onwards, and I was allowed to do the overnighters in. And um, my uncle used to let me on, so I was only allowed maximum five bucks. But I was allowed to go up and have fifty cents each way here and there. Well, um, but if I chipped the five dollars away, that was it. I was done. So. Couldn't but, go back to the well. Yeah, it wasn't allowed. <laughs> and, and I couldn't, not as if I could get on anywhere else at that age. So <laughs> they were the rules and I had to play by. But How did you go with the form? Reading the form? No, I, I didn't. I used to just look at them. Oh, yeah. from the yard. Yeah, it did, yeah. So I had a lot of fun doing it. And um, it was, I used to come home with a little bit of extra money now and then. <laughs> and so I, I, the, the punt I've always loved and it's sort of us versus them, so it's like from a training point of view, it's it's the trainer versus the corporates or, or the TAB. You know, you want to you want to bury them. Um, so I enjoy that side, and then the once I love the art of punting and and you know frame your markets and so on and so forth. It then became well, how do you actually get these horses to perform when you need them to perform? And then that side of it intrigued me, and that's probably why I pushed down. The, the training side. Simon Miller is our guest. Inspiring sports stories. Thanks to Baron O'Day, the trainer of some class gallopers, plenty of group success. And then this, you finally cracked the group one that was, I don't know if it was weighing you down, but it seemed to be weighing down the WA racing part, uh, family. And it was done with the mighty Amelia's jewel. And it's Ironclad straightening for home though. Ironclad led a length and a half. On the outside, Bustler comes out at search and rocks behind those. Amelia's Jewel picking away through. Cascadians coming down the outside. Amelia's Jewel out after Ironclad. Amelia's Jewel hits the front. And Walshie's West Aussie Wonder Philly has won the Northerly. Amelia's Jewel. Uh, Loves here still here in Macca's Cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Like he got right, he got right into it, so. Uh, it was a it was a good day. Was it a monkey off the back? Genuine monkey off the back, and was it weighing you down personally at all? Expectation of you just, you had, as you said, plenty of black type, plenty of group success. That's what you're aiming for, but you just hadn't got the group one. Yeah, it didn't worry me. I just said I have that much fun, and I just love winning. So um, it, it, I, we did our systems and structures and our buying process. Suggested we'll get there at some stage, just whether it was now or Hang on, hang on, hang on. Did you go systems and structures? Yeah. That's very AFL speak. But it is. That's what we, like, it's everything we do is a process here. At, like at, a template? Yep. Is that right? Mm. I thought you were a bit loose cannon. Just No, no, I get, I get loose um, once I've, <laughs> once everything's in place. <laughs> <laughs> There's time to work, Tim. Well, and you do it well. We're going to take a break and come back. I, I want to talk about the young years and your first involvement with some of those stables and, and those who influenced you over your career that has got you to where you've got to. And uh, you're a remarkable person. You're fun to be around. And we're going to dig a lot of de- de- deeper uh, over the next hour on that. We're talking with Simon Miller, inspiring sports stories, ascot trainer, trainer to the stars, boutique stable, smashing it on the East Coast with Amelia's Jewel. Thanks to Bowen a day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Tim Gossage on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. 
Simon Miller is our guest. We're talking about the so far the career and the life of this young man who is, well, creating a massive storm with a horse called Amelia's Jewel. But there's a lot of work that's gone into it. Geelong born and bred, son of two bank workers. Uh, you mentioned your involvement through bookmaking, syndication, breeding, all that sort of stuff. Uh, how was the deal with the banking, being around money, loving the punt and the horses? How'd you go with all of that? Well, you know, if you had a bit of a bad day, Tim, you could offset it somehow. <laughs> Take just, the interest. Jo- just joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but um, how how committed were you to banking? What's you, you reached a pretty high standard in there. You weren't just uh, a batch clerk. Uh, no, I was going good. So, but nepotism. Like if I couldn't it's alive and well, mate. Oh, it is. Wasn't for my dad, I wouldn't have got in this industry. <laughs> So, um, mum was uh, head of HR in the old man, was stepfather's head of credit bureau. So, um, I started off as a bank teller and just worked my way through, got to international banking, then business banking. I was about to become a manager, business banking manager, and I thought, oh, if I go down that path, I'm entrenched and I'm done. And I used to work with the horses on the weekends and take RDOs when we had runners. So, uh, I pulled the pin. Um, on a serious note, did it, has it helped you with your business acumen in regards to your setup of Simon Miller Racing? Yeah, absolutely. From your business structure, your setup, your procedures to even just your interpersonal skills, like liaising with clients, and um, yeah, it, it's helped immensely. So it was five years. It was a fun five years. I did have a lot of fun in there. Okay, Charlie Goggin on weekends. Robbie Griffiths, of course, you worked there as well. You, you uh, Smurden, we know, and you also went up to Sydney with John O'Shea. Uh, great mentors, great people inside the industry. What did you learn from? Did you learn lots from some and stuff that you wouldn't do? I mean, just tell us a bit about those journeys and those mentors. I suppose um, Robbie Griffiths was the catalyst for because I spent eight years with him and ran his operation for probably seven. Um, so he was probably the main the main mentor along the way because I spent that long there that you he's teaching you all the tricks along the way and the do's and don'ts. And then when I went from there to O'Shea's, I just got fine-tuned a little bit. and um, Then to see how two different trainers operate, it was fascinating. Then I went and saw um, Smurden operate, and he was just a freak. I know he found trouble and all that, but I wasn't. I was watching him at four in the morning when there was – you know, he was training and it was just like, wow, you're good. So, you know, I went from Robbie Griffiths to O'Shea to Smurden, saw three completely different trainers and just picked what I liked off all of them and then moulded myself. And um, I suppose when I was in Sydney, I, I had O'Shea down pat within about probably a month. So I was watching what Gay does, what Bart does, um, and I was starting to figure out how, how they operate as well. So it was... Uh, it was a great time, and then then I lobbed in the Caulfield, and then in the hut in there, there was Price, Moody, um, you know, just just a couple of guns there, and obviously Smurden was there, and so I sort of picked picked what they were doing as well. And you, if you're willing to observe it and and look, you'll you'll see things and there's patterns as to why why they do it, and it's fascinating. It is. Were you any good at anything else apart from racing? Did you play footy, basketball, golf? You, I've, I've never really known. I know you love your footy and you love your sport and you love events, but I'm just interested about where where other sporting prowess was with you. Yeah, sport was huge. So mum uh, weekends would forever drop me off and pick me up and um, I was playing uh, good like state tennis and mum was dropping me off in the mornings for training before school and then Footy, I was um, heading pretty good down that path. And then um, golf, I was off single figures. 
So it was always any sport I loved. The only sport I didn't play was cricket because I didn't want to be fielding hot weather uh, when I could be surfing. So, because <laughs> um, surfing is you, you love surfing. Yeah, I do. Yeah, not now because um, I just don't have time. But yeah, I, I loved it. Lived on the water every every opportunity before or after school and uh, holidays and all the boys would all just throw the boards in the ute and bail for a few days and just see you when I get back. Barrack for Geelong? Yeah, f- flat out Geelong, yeah. flat out. So Good success in that time. Have you, have you ever trained? Oh, well, no. we know Mark Bairstow, of course, who's you know, in the 90s, uh, trained, of course, over here in Western Australia. Uh, was also, I think he was trained for Ron Hovey, if I stand corrected mm. on that. But, yeah. Uh, sort of like, um, you know, who are your Geelong football heroes? Oh, all of them. I used to have... Um, my Geelong jumper, I had all their signatures on there. There was only one I was missing one year, uh, and it was Wacko Jacko. And I knew he was working at the Grovedale Bottle Shop, so I said to the old man, right, you got to go get a six-pack, let's go. So I walked down, and, uh, sorry, Dad drove down, and I got out of the car, and he looked up, and he was just mad. Like, even when you look at him, and he goes, oh, you got a few signatures there. I said, I'm missing one, yours. He goes, the best for last, son, the oh. best for last. So he signed it, and I was like, how cool is this? Um, Who's your favourite player of all time? Uh, senior, Gary Abbott Senior. He was just, he kicked goals, you know, kicking goals, everyone, even you look at the younger kids nowadays, they love forwards, don't they, who, who can kick goals, so, um, I used to have a little kick, he lived four doors down from us, uh, until, and not many people knew where he lived, because he was very uh, recluse, and so when the surf wasn't on, every now and then I'd just have a kick in the park, and he came through one day and they had a bit of a kick, and must have taken a liking to me, because I never told anyone that I did it. Well, otherwise, every kid's there. So, what age are we talking there, sir? Uh, I was fourteen. So that's I think pretty I th- damn cool. I, I think it was fourteen, something like. That. But the funniest thing was, I came home from school one day, and it was just like a media frenzy everywhere. And that was when um, the pizza man came. Oh, Ablett came home early from training, and the pizza man was there, and he decided to give me a little bit of what for, and uh, then that was it. He was gone. Have you ever trained a horse for a Geelong player connection? Um, I've had him interested in the camp. No, I don't think I have. No, I don't think so. You trained for Peter Bell? Yeah, yeah, Bally. Any others? Any other? Oh, Sean Marsh? Yeah, Mitch Sean Marsh? Mitch. Who else? Philippi. Yeah. Um, Coxie. Um, oh, heaps of footy players. Shawnee Mack, Jason Norrish. Um, JL was lurking there at one stage. So it was, it's good. How did you get to Perth? I know you came across with Aquanita. What was the lure there? And, you know, what, how did that all start and how did it end? Uh, so I came to Perth. Uh, I met Ali in Melbourne, uh, my better half, or Mother Teresa, as I call her, because she puts up with me. And then I got off at a really good gig in Sydney, so Al moved to Sydney, and then she wanted to come back to Perth. Al is a vet. Yes. And so she'd been holidaying oh, – sorry, I'd been holidaying in Perth for um, a few years – and I thought, oh, this is a great joint. And she wanted to come home, and it worked out pretty good that I enjoyed it as well. So we came over here and set up, and we had a bit of a, a sort of, you still got to deliver and get it right, but we had um, a fair bit of media attention because of who I'd worked for, and I could have set up a Caulfield or Randwick and have come to Ascot. So, you you know, you're a big fish in a small pond, but it doesn't mean you're guaranteed success. But you got, I got a fair head start when I first got here. So. Well, I, I jumped on the fan base pretty quick. I was doing breakfast radio with the with the, the racing station, and uh, I I just loved your, the style and uh, and just the quirky nature of the way you went about it. Um, 
did you think that you'd made the right move coming across to WA? How, how hard was it to, to get set up in a faraway place with a pretty insular industry like WA Racing? Yeah, it's, it's, it was very clicky at the start, but um, I knew I'd learn from the best and pick what I liked from them so I could, without sort of being like an, an egomaniac, I thought, well, all i got to do is just do the basics well and what I've picked up along the way and, and we should be fine. So, but you can create an illusion, Tim. And so we hardly had a runner when we first came here. We came across with five horses. You had a mate called Chopsy. Yeah, I, I bought him over from O'Shea's. So I had, how's this? I had a, a foreman with five horses. I had a foreman, Chopsy, and I had a track rider from Melbourne that I nicked. That Ryan Martin? Yep. So there was the three of us with five horses. <laughs> and we've all, we've all come from um, big stables where you got multiple runners on a daily basis to five in work. Our first runner was, was Larson in the Hennens. And then we had probably another couple of runners two or three months later. And it was just a slow grind at the start. But we, what nobody knew was behind the scenes, we were getting all these horses. But... If they were no good, I wouldn't step them out. I'd say, no, nah, not for you. Won't win a race. See you later. And some people sort of looked and said, well, who are you, mate? You, you, can't, beggars can't be choosers. Yeah, and you're the new kid on the block. Like, who says you Take can... Take whatever you're given. Yeah, so, but I, I, I didn't step him out and I kept getting rid of him. So every time we went to the races, we were, we were so competitive. And so then everyone's like, oh, you must go all right, this bloke. But the risk is you're playing Russian roulette because if you sack one and it goes elsewhere and it flies, you, you've got egg on your face. And then word will go around. So I was a bit of a thrill seeker. And even now, Ryan Martin, I was caught up with him the other day, and he looks back now at what I was doing, and he was like, it's bordering on madness what what you were doing, but it, you look where you are now because of you're willing to risk it. And the best form of advertising is a winning post. So we were constantly, if we weren't winning, we were running top three. And then everyone was like, oh, it's going good, this bloke. But nobody saw what we were flicking out behind the scenes. Simon Miller is our guest in Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Baron O'Day, because the little things are everything. Do you, is it hard to, and I don't know whether you do feel this way or whether you're stable, uh, your, your workers or whether your other owners or the other horses get offended that Simon Miller, the, it's a name we know. We know in WA, the racing industry knows, but you've risen to prominence in the sporting sphere with on the back of this Amelia's jewel, this horse, this amazing animal. Um, do you what's your when I say to you Simon Miller and I go to introduce you? Oh, the trainer of Amelia's jewel. But you've also trained a lot of other good horses. But are you comfortable with being connected to Amelia's jewel? And if Amelia's jewel was on, maybe this so-called bigger notoriety in a sporting sense wouldn't be around. Does it? What's your thought? Um, no, I'm fine with it. You just it is what it is, and. I'll put it to you this way, and it's probably with Peter Walsh as well now. So Peter Walsh is highly successful in every business he dabbles in. But that's all out the window now. Everywhere he goes, everyone says, oh, you own Amelia's Jewel. So we're doing similar things, you know, but um, we're both thoroughly enjoying it. And and it's great to be, you know, recognised that you do train her because when over in Melbourne, and we'll talk about it later, but it's just, it's crazy. They just cannot get enough of her. Yeah, well, and you can't get enough of her and can't get enough of you. Let's take a break and come back, and we'll dissect a bit more of the Amelia's Jewel story. Where to now? Because 
We're not too far away, of course, from seeing her go around again, Amelia's Jewel. And there is a date on the calendar, the 28th of October, where a lot of people are excited about. I wonder if we can get Simon Miller to give us an indication. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Baron and Day, because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Tim Gossage on SEN. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. They brush together then Hattorio, followed by Cosmopolitan Girl at the 200 Universal Flare. Now joined by Amelia's Jewel who lets down. She races up, she grabs the lead. Fiorucci Mummy is battling away, then Costume Party. But this is an auspicious debut by Amelia's Jewel. Amelia's Jewel, much too good, won the supremacy on debut from Fiorucci Mama and wider out Costume Party. That is the first that we as the public got to see Amelia's Jewel. What a great debut. Simon Miller is our guest, Inspiring Sports Stories, the trainer of Amelia's Jewel, thanks to Bower and O'Day. How did you get Amelia's Jewel? Peter Walsh, Annie. Got to thank Annie. Annie gave Pete um, a Royal Ascot tour or the races with the tour for a Christmas present. So Pete and Annie went over there and obviously know the right people and they got shown some stands and then went to France and looked at some stands and Pete fell in love with Kingman and Siuni. So he thought, well, what do you got to do? You got to buy mares. So he bought a couple of mares and got them served Southern Hemisphere time. Uh, sorry, Northern Hemisphere time. And uh, then um, just said Colts we keep, uh, sorry, Phillies we keep, Colts we sell. And fortunate there was one Colt, one Philly, and that was the Philly. Colt went through the ring, I think it made about 600. So and that's, and that's how the journey began. But just that intro, Tim, with... Um, that first start, I remember it was COVID and we there was restrictions on who could go to the races and how many and we was we were isolated from the public so they put a little ballot up up the top there and you could go and sit up there for the day and um Pete's daughter Sammy, she went with her partner at the time and that was it. Pete was down south and I boomed it up to him pretty big and I'd had a lot of stakes winners for Pete previously. And like we'd run third in a group one over here and, and multiple stakes horses. And I just boomed it to him. I said, mate, this is the best you'll ever get. And uh, I remember on the Friday, I, was, I don't usually get on edge, but I'd pumped it up that much to him that I'd put him into an absolute um, nervous wreck and I felt so bad. So I drove down, looked at Spellers just to clear you know, clear this, the day. And just... Explain that to our listeners What when, when you say looking at Spellers. So your horses that the, that are out just... Grazing. Yep, they're all on holiday, a little break, a little R&R, and &R, and um, got their head down, uh, just living their best life. And so I just drove down and just had a look at all them to see how they're all going, and then caught up with Pete, and uh, I felt genuinely that bad. He, he was that sick, and it was a day out from the race, and I'm like, what have I done to this bloke? <laughs> so it was just relief when she won at her first start, because I boomed it up so much, and got the trophy, and it was only um, myself and... Uh, Jess, Pete's daughter, that was in the stalls, uh, sorry, in the manning yard because there was no one around. So Perth Racing, to the credit, they came down and I handed them the trophy and I said, oh, Pete's daughter's sitting up there, um, lob it on her table, but she won't be expecting it. And then um, then Pete got the photo from Sammy and then Pete rang me and he was all emotional and it was like, it was pretty cool. 
Did you? How did you know? I'm interested to know. Okay, breeding's one thing. Then they got to come and they got to pre-train and they got to do all the broken in and all that sort of stuff. And so much can go wrong. And there are so many horses and there's so many beautifully bred horses that don't achieve already what she's achieved and what she's achieving. But I'm just intrigued by when is it a time where a man in training like you says this horse is a star? What What do they do? They make it look easy. It looks like they're in slow motion, yet they're actually working to the clock. And fast horses are quick, but elite horses look slow. And then you run the stopwatch over them and you're like, wow. And she can suck you in a lot of times if you're visually just watching because you think, oh, it's just having a bit of a lend out there. And then it's sexually breaking the clock. So the first time I galloped her, Broke 11 and broke it easy for 200 metres. And I was like, yeah, we're away here. So I was on actual Melbourne radio when um, when she had her first gallop. And because of the time difference, they had me on because it was railway stakes day and we had a lot of runners. And I just went mute up the straight. And I didn't mean to. I was on radio, I just went silent. And, you know, radio silence is like, <laughs> it's awful. And Gareth said to me, everything all right? And I said, yeah, yeah, sorry. I just saw a freak. And he was like, what is it? And I said, oh, it's a two-year-old. And I said, I just can't believe what I've seen. And he's like, name? I said, me to know you to find out. And that was her. So, wow. Yeah, he played it back to me. Um, when she was favourite for the Karakata, he played that actual clip back on radio. So it was, it was amazing. Um, how Your relationship with your owners. Now, now I just want to know, uh, again, for our listeners who are listening, and we're speaking to Simon Miller, trainer of Amelia's Jewel, but been around the racing game for a long time and incredibly successful. Trains out at Ascot, but is on the uh, the Aussie racing stage at the moment with this mighty horse, Amelia's Jewel. Your, your association with Peter Walsh, how does that start? Started through Greg Miles, so race caller in Melbourne. And- Legend. And uh, obviously through Dino and Milesy and there was all of us, uh, Warren Huntley, there was a little crew and we always used to catch up and have a lunch. And so Greg knew I was going to Perth and obviously he knows Macaulay and Macaulay knows Walshy and that's how I got I got the link up. So, um, But it didn't happen overnight. Like I didn't go in there expecting anything and just the odd one here and there and, and we grew the relationship from there. And, and Amelia's Park, uh, Amelia's Farm, I mean, we know, and the colours and stuff like that. As you talked about, incredibly successful man. Is he a good owner or is he a stressful owner? Or is he an opinionated owner? Does he pay his bills on time? You know what I mean? I mean, I'm just, no, I'm intrigued because you've got a lot of owners and you and you are very much a hands-on trainer. A lot of people get a, a bit of voicemail from a trainer. See, for those who don't know, I've bought into uh, one of the superstars of the future, the next Amelia's <laughs> Jewel, Anna Ballistic. Uh, I bought in through the My Racehorse um, syndicated rate, 0.001%, because I just want to tell people, you try one of my horses. <laughs> I want to annoy you. I want to annoy you. I want to actually ring you about my horse. I want to get tickets to the races. <laughs> I want to be in every photo. I want you to tell me. how. What sort of is your relationship with Walshy? He's very laid back, uh, and he he doesn't... Uh, inter- is he a pressure owner, though? Do nah. you feel pressure training for nah, someone like him? Not at all, no. He's all, his dad said to him, and he's sworn by it, he said, son, if you want to start giving advice to the trainer, you get there at three every morning, <laughs> and then you're allowed to have your opinion. <laughs> so that's what he does. He just, like, for this carnival, he wanted a roadmap where we're heading, and, and he only wanted it 
so he could figure out the flight's accommodation for his family. He's like, right, we're all going. And they do. They all jet over. They all jet back. They go again. Uh, and, and the only reason why I don't know if I'm going to a Golden Eagle or a Cox Plate is because he's like, feel your way through. Like, if he said to me, I want to do this, then I'd, I'd do it. You know, That's how laid back he is. Who's going to make the call? As to, we're going to get ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but who get, who makes the call in regards to where Amelia's jewel's going? I think Damien Lane will play a massive part in it. Okay. Um, because he's he's won a Cox Plate, uh, and he knows what type of horse you need to do that, or and he'll know the opposition for the Eagle. So, I mean, between the three of us, we'll sort it out, but I think he's he's a major, major player in this. So we talk of the 28th of October, which is the Labroke's Cox Plate, $5 million uh, race, and we'll get to the value win from the other day, a ra- track record stock stakes in a moment. But I just, so, so w- am I wrong to say, am I wrong to say, Simon Miller, trainer of Amelia's Jewel, that at the moment it is Cox Plate if Damien thinks that's the way to go, but you've got a great alternative, you could go to Sydney. Mm. So he, he can definitely help us, absolutely. So at the moment, Cox Plate is probably, probably? 50-50, both of them. 51%, 49%. 50-50. You, why are you holding out? I, I'm not holding out. I just want to get through the Turak, and then we get to see the Golden Eagle runners have another go. We get to see the Cox Plate runners have another go and just try and pick the easier path. I mean, my to be honest, my head says... Um, Golden Eagle, and my heart says Cox Plate. We're going to go to the break. We're going to come back and talk a bit more about this Melbourne campaign that you're currently involved. Simon Miller is our guest. Inspiring sports stories, thanks to Baron O, because little things are everything. He is uh, just a quality human being, and I say this, uh, a good friend of mine, someone who I've remained connected to through the racing industry, and I was connected to the Quokka last year when it was launched. I was lucky enough to be working for Perth Racing. You finished second in the Quokka, a lot of people thought you'd won. We'll go to the break hearing how it was so close, but yet so far, what took place at Ascot at the Quokka. They're giving each other the big eyeball. Red Can Man joined them both, though. A length and a half uncommon. James letting down. Where's Amelia's Jewel? Back in the field, but running on strongly. As for a overpass, Red Can Man. A hundred left to go. Overpass as for a Amelia's Jewel coming. She's coming at the rate of knots. Overpass. Amelia's Jewel. She lunged. Did she get there? I don't know. She came. She came like a train. Amelia's Jewel got to overpass in the shadows. A photo here in the Quokka. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Tim Gossage on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Simon Miller, trainer, Ascot trainer, successful trainer, big time trainer. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Speaking of little moments, it was a little moment we played into the break where you just got beaten in the quokka with Amelia's Jewel. She's only lost two races and, wow, went by a pimple to, to overpass. I was there working out there. You're training. The overpass for Bjorn Baker was staying with your stable. Um, what that, that was the big race. That was what everyone was hope, hoping for. The crowd was huge. It was heaving. They all wanted Amelia's Jewel. What was your emotion? Um, I was proud of her. Like, just for, to get to where she was in running and, and get as close as she did and let rip with um, some crazy closing speed sectionals, I was I was just wrapped because I think that's why 
everyone in Australia loves her because if she doesn't win, she looks like she's going to. And she gets into trouble and then her turn of foot gets her out of trouble just as quick. So um, there was – I thought the grandstand was going to fall down. I was underneath and I've never uh, – railways and all that has been loud, but that was like hectic loud underneath. But it is a package, Simon, and I say this with you here, and you've got uh, Siobhan, you've got Kelly Kittermont, you've got all your staff, you've got Walshy, you've got so many people involved in this journey with this horse at the moment, and it's not just this one horse. You train a lot of for a lot of good owners, a lot of good horses that are winning races, even while you're in Melbourne focusing on this uh, journey. You've also got the stable back here. I know that uh, last night, as we record this, uh, you took all the staff out because the staff that have run the Ascot stables while you've been away, uh, keeping a focus on Amelia's Jewel, you must be incredibly proud with the production and the way it's kept kept on going. Yeah, very much so. So um, my staff are first and foremost, like I'm bloody lucky. I've got unbelievable staff and I've had them for so long and when one leaves, someone new jumps in and then you got them for a few years. Um, so, yeah, I took them all out last night and I just said, look, this is for everything you're doing behind the scenes right now. But this is also um, Amelia's jewel. Um, you know, while we're over there, you guys are still here. And, and one of my staff, um, I got a bit emotional after the race all that night when I got back to my room at the Valley because... They all gathered, and I didn't know. They all gathered at a, um, one of the houses and, and had a party. I saw it. Yeah, and they um, videoed it. On. Yeah, it was, and I, I got a bit emotional and watching it. You are it. now. Yeah, because it was like they, they buy into it. They live. They breathe. They breathe it. You know. So yeah, we had a good night. Um, put the credit card on the bar, and and they ripped in. I didn't see anyone have a beer. They all looked straight into the cocktails. So. Well deserved and uh, well done, and I'm, and I'm glad you're emotional because you you are you are that type of person. We see the the comical, the jovial side, but uh, you're very much connected. You're the father figure of this group, and you are a massive part of what is this roadshow that is Amelia's Jewel. And it started in Melbourne over for the Let's Elope at Flemington. Pride of Jenny Torra, Jean wants to lug out. Life lessens the outside. El Patroness is darting back over on the far side. Where's Amelia's Jewel? Lane hasn't pushed the button yet, and she's running on. Life lessons at the clock tower took the front. Here's Amelia's Jewel about to let down hands and heels. Amelia's Jewel up to Life Lessons, who fights. Amelia's Jewel a neck, a half Life Lessons. Too good, too good. Amelia's Jewel a neck, Life Lessons. What was that like? It was... Uh, was the pressure valve off? No, I didn't feel the pressure. Okay. I, I'm, she's that good, yeah. Tim, that I just I just go there and I know if you can trust her, she takes her track work to the races. You can trust her. Trials to the races. Like, it's just, she's that easy to read. Like, I've got that much of a handle on her. You know when to work her, when to back off. And So I thought, well, we drew wide. It doesn't matter. We'll just sort of let her find her feet and work to the line. But Frosty got interviewed um, after the race, and he had the biggest smirk on his face. He was like the cat that caught the, the mouse. And I was like, <laughs> and so when all the media left, I was just hearing, oh, he said, what are you laughing at? And I said, your mind was doing one thing and your voice was doing another. It was like you didn't want to let on what you knew, but you were just talking, and but you were smirking. And he looked around, there was no one around us. He goes, what the bloody hell you got here? <laughs> so uh, that was, uh, I got a laugh out of that, but. It, uh, even just when we were in the manning yard, there were people on the other side of the fence chanting and cheering and Pete thought they were my mates. And so I threw Frosty up and then walked over and said hello to them and they all had the shirts and 
It's incredible. Yeah, it's crazy. It yeah. is incredible, and it's what racing needs. It needs identities. It does need identities. It needs people. It needs horses. It needs passion. It needs the next generation to come through, and she is leading that charge, and we don't really know how lucky we are in WA. We've seen her at big big, big games and the Quokka and all that sort of stuff, but it should be an attraction to every single time she steps out, and it is becoming that way. It was the same at the Valley with the Stock Stakes. Amelia's Jewel stoked up to run her down into the straight at the 150. Pride of Jenny, a half length. Amelia's Jewel moves up on the outside, takes Pride of Jenny, is coming clear. Great pipe opener. Bring on the Cox Plate. Amelia's Jewel, <laughs> three quarters of a length. Matty Hill, who uh, clearly knows what we don't know, uh, he thinks it's bring on the Cox Plate. Again, track record time, ridden a completely different way, but Damien Lane knew what he was doing, read the play brilliantly, and if the horse goes back, probably don't win the race. That's exactly what he said when he came back in. If I went back, you lose. But that's what, you know, those elite jockeys do. Their split-second decision-making, they get it right more often than not, and that's that's why they're, they're elite. But it was madness at the Valley. It was proper. Like, it was like being at a concert. The music was belting. The atmosphere was electric. In the stalls, I actually took a video from inside because I was like, this is just next level. They were th- 10 deep, just all trying to get a look at her and camera crews and people cheering. And then the other thing, Tim, that you, I'm starting to really realise, all my clients, they're loving it. They're part of the journey. And, you know, they've got their own horses, but they're all on this wild ride. And I saw some footage of Belmont when she won at Flemington and everyone was cheering. It was just, there wasn't my owners. It was just racing people. And then you get all these well wishes leading into the next race. And and the Valley was, was intriguing and interesting because it was Friday night, grand final eve. There's a lot of WA people there for the footy, but they came to the races. And look, half these clients, they're not mine. Like, there are other trainers here. And they're high-fiving and cheering. Like, they're, everyone's on board. She's flying the WA flag. Yeah. And so are you for a Victorian. You know that. Yeah. So, yeah. Is that comfortable with you? Um, yeah, it's fine. It, I mean... Um, James Aldrin from Perth Racing sent me a really nice message and I suppose that's when you sort of look at it and you're like, oh, right. Um, and he just said, mate, you're representing our code uh, at a, such a high standard and, and I just wanted to thank you for it. And I was like, no worries. Mate, this is not a new ride for you. I mean, at the moment with this horse, it's a, it's next level. Uh, you've been successful for some time and, and you are a, a remarkable positive person and it's what racing needs and it's what racing not just in WA but the country needs. Where to now? Not just with this horse. Where to now? What's there more? What do you want to achieve? Do you just want to keep on doing the same old stuff, be a good person, have good people, good horses, uh, or do you have you got visions of grandeur? No, just keep doing what we're doing. It's been fun for 14 years and uh, thoroughly enjoy it. My staff enjoy it. My owners enjoy it. So won't change anything. Just you want to always try and win the the, the black type races, but that's that's your end goal. But just keep having fun along the way, and, and that's what we're doing. Like. Um, Back here, we had a couple of really good, nice winners whilst I was over there. So it works. The system works. The stable keeps ticking over. And now we're about to approach our opening day at Ascot. And so we've got a plethora of three-year-olds that will play in the majors. So, we've, you know, now we've got to start to hone in on, on them and get them ready. 
Been a good chat. We could every time we sit and talk, we could talk longer and longer and longer. We've got great subject matter with Amelia's Jewel, but it's not just Amelia's Jewel. It's all the winners. It's all the journey. It's the way you go about it as a stable, as a person. Uh, good luck with Amelia's Jewel wherever she goes, Turak, and then wherever she races again. It's been a delightful journey so far, and uh, I appreciate you coming in and chatting with our listeners and hearing your story. Uh, you're a good person. Thanks, Tim. It's a lot of fun. Simon Miller, our inspiring sports story, thanks to Baron O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Simon Miller has been our guest, and don't change, mate. You're a star. Thank you.